0: Why'd you let me race with your car? You knew I was gonna wreck it. Why not? Because is a lot of money.
1: I have money. It's trust and character I need around me. And who you choose to be around you.
0: Have you ever been to Japan, Brett? No, I've not.
1: Do you want to go to Japan? I do. Yeah, what would you do in Japan? Where would you go? Like Akihabara? Go to the game stores?
0: Absolutely. And then I would go... I would, I, this is actually not a joke. I know that mm-hmm. we're using this as like a transition into <laughs> the beginning of the episode. Well, you didn't have to tell them. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you can do what you want to. But I'm going to break the wall a little bit and say I would actually 100% be like someone who drifts take me to the top of this mountain put me in your car and let's just drift i i don't have to do the drifting because i don't know how to i yeah. just want to be in the car experiencing the g's that come from just sliding around those crazy corners you know what i mean
1: no i know what you mean i, I would like to go to japan and just yell godzilla in the middle of every city
0: <laughs> Godzilla!
1: i feel like that's offensive but i don't want anyone to get offended i just want to be in tokyo
0: you just want to be culturally insensitive
1: I want to recreate the scenes from movies. I love if I went to (laughs) game of Thrones Island and I walked up the steps like Jon snow, nobody would get mad at me.
0: That's true. Yeah. But, uh, well, I mean, someone absolutely would, there'd be that guy who's like sick of the people only coming for that, being like another one of these fuckers.
1: (laughs) No, there's definitely been news stories about that. I wonder if there's been any news stories about white men going to Tokyo to learn how to drift. That'll take us into this week's episode of Midweek Matinee. How you doing, Brett?
0: I'm here. I am in this plane of existence. I just came hot off of some Yu-Gi-Oh duels, so I'm in the mood. I'm jovial. I'm, I'm in a great mood. Let's do this.
1: Well, that's good to hear. I am your host for the week, Chris Figueroa. This week we watched the movie uh, Fast and the Furious Tokyo Drift, the third leg of our race to Fast 9. Brett, how did you like Tokyo Drift?
0: I'm going to make a really big statement right now. I don't understand how this movie gets any serious hate at all. Does dude. it have small moments? Maybe. But dude, I I joke 100% not. Anybody who does not view this as 100% a, in DNA a Fast and Furious movie, it, I, I consider them to be utterly wrong. Yeah.
1: So that brings me to, my, to how I felt about this movie. And I have been lied to, uh, bamboozled. I've had the wool pulled over my eyes. Mm-hmm. I've been led astray. You drank the Kool-Aid. I've been befuddled. Because this movie is fucking sick.
0: <laughs> and here's the weird thing, though. Because you're... Have you never watched this movie until now?
1: I don't remem- remember watching it. I feel I've like on- I've seen it.
0: I've only watched the movie mm-hmm. once. Yeah, And it was shortly after it came out, probably 2007. It wasn't the same year, but it mm-hmm. was not far after it. Um, and I still remembered a lot of the movie, but I think over the years hearing people act like it wasn't a real Fast and Furious movie kind of let me believe the lie, even though I had some memory of it. It's yeah. like the what they talked about reinforced those memories, but made me forget all the other parts that I think make it 100% a fast movie.
1: Yeah, it's it's a world of Fast and the Furious movies. exactly
0: like yeah you can maybe argue that it shouldn't be fast and the furious 3 fine but to act like this movie does not exist in the world of fast and furious and doesn't share every bit of dna that makes those movies what they are at least let me back up at least up to that point if you watch one and two and you think they're fine in the continuation of four through eight but you think this one's weird for some reason, then blow me because (laughs) one and two in this share so much DNA. Now, if you want to argue that Tokyo drift in comparison to four through eight is very different. Sure. Fine. I think that's also true of one and two to a fairly large degree. So at least when Tokyo drift came out, I think the, the, the filmmakers who were looking behind this made a movie that has all of the facets that you would expect out of one with some twist on some things where it almost feels like it's a movie that's, rebooting the first movie to a degree but like up and moving our characters or new character to an unknown area and changing the race up Yeah, hey we're still talking about racing but now it's going to be a different type of racing we're still talking about crime now it's a different type of crime you know mm-hmm. i i think the big lie is the is the fact that this movie and i even said it the big lie is that this movie is only about racing i still think that at the end of the day it's more about racing than any of the than the other two before this but it still carries that feeling of like fast one and two where there's this criminal under backing to it. It's not just a guy showing up being like, let's race.
1: Yeah. No, this isn't speed racer. That's actually exactly what happens. I mean, yeah, true,
0: but (laughs) not throughout the entirety of the movie. It's not just two hours of a guy walking up being like, let's race and nothing else happening. It's just a bunch of people being like, yeah, I'll race you.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I don't know. I, the only logical explanation is that Brian and, Toretto aren't in it. But then Toretto wasn't in the last movie and he's in this movie. So like it it works. I don't know. What did you think of the beginning? That race.
0: I mean fun. Does a lot of setup. I think that it tells you who Sean is as a character, what to expect from him, how quick and headstrong he is, so that you can know what's gonna happen with the rest of the movie, at least in regards to him. Um of course, it, it does a lot to set up the fact that he moves around all the time, which plays into his character and his arc within the role of being in Tokyo, which is arguably the most foreign, both literally and figuratively, place he's ever been to uh, or moved to amongst all of his moving. And I also think it it, it sets up that he is basically Brian. He's going to act a fool in regards to a girl and make dumb decisions because of a girl. And it just sets this movie up to be like I talked about. Kind of like a weird reboot to where Sean is a different version of Brian. Not in a bad way, in a fun way. And and kind of going from there, I just think it it does a really good job, at least to me, of setting up the movie. Setting up what you expect to see visually, because I think this movie does a fantastic job of looking much better. In its, uh, in its action scenes than the last two movies. I think the first movie was pretty solid and tried to work around it smartly. Second movie, as I mentioned, leads too much into CGI. And while there is one or two CGI moments that are a little noticeable in this movie, 90% of it feels like, even if it's actually not, sometimes it's great CGI that you just say we're smart with it, it feels like it's just a camera following a real car doing the driving.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I enjoyed that the... Uh beginning of the movie kind of made it clear that he can't drift and that's why the race got to where it did because if he was able to rip, drift he would have won the race pretty easily that's
0: true. that's true his deficiency also it sets up that apparently everyone across from 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 u.s all the way to japan mm. everyone when they're losing their their natural inclination is to just ram your very expensive car into someone else's
1: yeah that was really weird that's and the entire got, movie. It got to the point where at the end of the movie, when he finally hit the brakes, I was like, fucking thank God. It's <laughs> was like, why has nobody done this throughout this entire movie? Like, it genuinely didn't make any sense. There's only two times where they use their brakes outside of the entire drifting part of the movie.
0: Well, and I'm, I'm glad you said that to a degree, too, because I feel like the first race and the last race do my favorite thing where it's like a perfect... It's supposed to be like the completion of the character arc. We see him fail at the beginning, technically, in a weird way because of it, and then mm-hmm. we see, it, excuse me, then we see him bring it all to roost in the last one. Even though those two races share a lot of similarities that are supposed to show not only character growth but his his growth as a racer, his growth as a number of different things across this whole movie, um, which is interesting because this is, I guess, arguably the only Fast and Furious movie that's a coming of age story.
1: Yeah, I guess I could see that. You
0: I know, mean, how how would you describe it? Because, I mean, you know, he's we kind of see him learn about the responsibility that gets put on him. And he's shirking off a lot of responsibility to begin with. And then by the end, even though he's still going out and racing, it's like he's doing it for a different reason.
1: Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I just, I don't think he changes at all during the movie outside of wanting revenge. You know, it's not like uh, Harry Potter. Is that Potter. how you view
0: the end? Is that how you view the end of the movie? It's yeah. that you just wanted revenge?
1: The end is... Yeah, exactly. That's the only reason you would go into there.
0: I mean... Especially I think... when
1: everyone else around you is running.
0: Yes. But there's a line that they choose to use, right? Like, let's let's back up a hair and just kind of look at the story. You know, his dad talks about you've got nowhere else to go, understand these things. And we kind of see that play throughout the movie, right? Because his dad tells him he's got nowhere else to go. But then he finds a secondary home with Han. He moves out, goes to Han. But then eventually that goes bust as it was always going to. And then it goes over back to his dad. And we kind of see him realizing that, you know, maybe my dad was right. There are some things where we got to, like, I can make mistakes because we are going to do it. But I've at least got to be responsible for those mistakes. And I, I'm i not saying it was like super poignant in how it chose to do it more than I'm just saying that there is an underlining in the movie of having it, at least from the way I perceived it, that he's viewing this somewhat as, and I think he even says the words, this is my mess. I need to go and clean it up. And I think he's doing that not only because of the fact that Han was done, but it's not revenge because he's not trying to kill DK. Um, or at least it's not revenge in the more violent sense. I think that I view it as more like he knows that there's danger on him, his father, Neela, all of the group from Han, like um, Twink and whatnot, who are going to be trying to run. Now they get to live unabashed. And most of the reason that stuff was going down, I'm not saying most, but some of the reason stuff was going down was because of him. Some of it was because of Han. I think it was
1: almost entirely because of Han. That's why I – I didn't really understand the it's, this is my mess thing. I was like, what the fuck did you do? <laughs>
0: I, yeah, I think that he knew that he didn't help the knee because of the constantly, the, there's a line that Han says in the movie, right? Which I thought was yeah, really he, a good line that you didn't just play with fire. You soaked the matches in gasoline. Right. And I think that that's part of what he's alluding to is like, he, the stuff with Han was always going to come to a head. Right. Because it had to. And just so we're talking about what actually happens, if you watch the movie, you should have picked up on the fact, (laughs) because the movie spells it out straight for you, that Han's partnership with with DK, and by extension DK's uncle, had him basically skimming off the side and stealing from him. See, Uh, that
1: was one of the things I didn't think the movie was clear about. Was he skimming off the money that he owed them, or did he have other business that they didn't know about? It and I guess like it was
0: side hustle, which is still the yeah. same thing, as well, far right. as mobs are well, mobs and yeah. are concerned.
1: Yeah, I guess I don't know. The movie wasn't clear as to what because Song ha, or Han was like. Yeah, we all have side businesses, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And to me, that was kind of like, okay, so well, then what's the issue? And then that's the only thing I could see as uh, Sean's responsibility is having Nila in the building at that exact moment, but. I think it was pretty clear the scene before. That's where she was going. She leaves uh, DK, and he knows what's go. Well, he knows the, the 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 score. So,
0: yeah, and I, you're you're correct on that. But I think leading the whole movie, I think part of what he knows is that by by getting himself, this is really let's go all the way back. Right, he allowed himself against his father's wishes to go near cars and start racing. He allowed himself to be bullish and, and try and uh, you know look at Nila whenever that he was talking to Nila and DK comes up and breaks it up. He allowed his head to or his I guess he allowed his pecker to outweigh his head and he chose to dive even further. and then whenever he was kind of given an exit, he lets Han come and pick him up and keep going, though Han does say, "You think you can tell me no." But he knows that every step of the way, it was his decisions that put them him in the position, and then by extension, his father at least, let's take everyone else away who was already in relation to DK and Han because Twink and all those other people already had relationships with Han. If nothing else, the danger that Sean put on himself and his father is specifically because of him. And his dad is certainly a target after putting a gun to DK.
1: Yeah, you're not wrong. I don't know. I just think he... I guess in a lot of ways it would have worked better for me if it was revenge.
0: You think so? Like where it, it wasn't about... Honor or duty or anything like that. It was just yeah because
1: pure. I uh, the movie the movie doesn't doesn't I don't think the movie does enough to earn that with Sean. You know I
0: I agree with that. I I think it needed to do more to really sell you on the fact of what it's trying. At least as I said, what it's trying to tell you is that he's changed. I don't think it did enough to build toward that. Uh, and. I agree. At least it being like, well, he, we already sees that he, th- he thinks without, or he acts without thinking. And if you kind of just let it be that he acted on violence toward DK because he's reactionary, then at least it's in line with the story.
1: I guess I just didn't see it as a, this is your mess. It, well, let's take it.
0: Let's take this as a moment to kind of like look at it and say, if, if you viewed this through revenge, it doesn't have to be super in-depth or anything. How would you have liked them to at least approach the idea of revenge through Sean? Since we don't necessarily see him be a vengeful person. I think they did.
1: That's the but, thing. is, I think the entire movie...
0: Shows him as a vengeful yeah, person.
1: Yeah. No, it doesn't necessarily show him as a vengeful person. But it shows him as wanting to handle DK because of what's going on with Neela and because of what happened with Han. Like That's the entire...
0: See, I guess I don't feel like the movie actually ever shows him in an angry state. I mean, he's clearly upset about Han, but I don't see I don't see him being in the anger step of grief just yet. If anything, I guess that's arguably part of the movie, is the movie doesn't really deal with Han's death until, for the most part, the movie's over. And we kind of see DK's name carry some weight whenever our mystery driver comes up and wants to race the new Drift King. Yeah. It's almost like now Han's name comes in and needs to be honored. I'd argue that, too. You know, this movie puts us in a position where these characters should be experiencing grief. But it never gives us any time for that grief to set in. Arguably because there's a lot of stuff going on. And there's safety that's concerned. And you can't grieve when you're worried about your safety and Neela's safety. But um, I guess I don't see where the movie builds towards him. Having a vengeful take on any of those things happening, and I think it could work, but it just you know.
1: But that's my point is I think it makes more sense as of even the entire context of the movie makes more sense as a vengeful thing than as a I need to clean up this responsibility. A because he's been running from his responsibilities the entire time. That's why he was exiled from the United States for some fucking reason, and. (laughs) And that's why, you know, to me, it was one of those things where, why else would you go to this place? Just leave. You know, everyone else is leaving. If anything, if he loses that race, he put all of his friends in danger. Who decided not to leave and help him? Like, I don't know. I just think.
0: Well, I don't think danger is is implied there at the end, though, right? Because at that point, it's like, hey, whoever loses leaves.
1: Yeah, but what you does think that, that leaving- mean? Leaving.
0: I mean, he said leaves town, is what he said. Right,
1: but who, and who stays, is Twinkie now responsible because, let's say Sean was Han's second, because Han's second has been banned and Han's dead, so Twinkie is the third, so now he's responsible. You know, had Twinkie left, then there is no question about that. The movie doesn't say that everyone is now safe, and I don't really sit here and think the Yakuza... (laughs) <laughs> no offense, I guess to the yakuza, but I don't think they're going to be like, you know, they're necessarily the most truthful people. So, I don't know. I just think that there's, I think if anything, he put people in danger by going over there. He could have been like, "Hey, Dad, we have to leave." Like I don't know, but
0: I'd say this, and this is just I'm I'm putting you in the headspace of what I thought during that scene. When he shows up and he puts that wager in, I never questioned anyone's safety at that point. And I I guess you could say this is because of Japanese media being interpreted in America and thus being fed potentially false versions of what they are. But all the media that I do, which has not been near as much as plenty, see the Yakuza mentioned in, the Yakuza are kind of like the mob, but with a little bit more of a string towards like honoring what they say. So whether that's accurate or not, that's the headspace that I was in when I hear that. So when I think of DK's uncle saying he agrees, I guess my brain defaulted to, if he loses, fine. Everyone's safe, but they're not allowed in Tokyo anymore. Now, that could be so far from the truth. It's just what put my brain there.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I just don't like. I think I, I if we're I talking about to... him learning to take responsibility, I think his decision actively was irresponsible.
0: Oh, the decision to actually go see the uncle. Yeah,
1: to walk in there and then to wager on something that realistically he should lose that race because he's not as good as DK. At least the at least the movie implies that he's not, and the only thing we see is like two things of him training, like it's. I don't know. I well, just... there's the
0: there's, an, there's a couple of things there. I think the movie probably could have done a better job going to it, but I'll say this. I, I think the movie does a couple of things to at least try and make the end work and not be immediate. Like, why wouldn't DK immediately win? Uh, I think DK's on edge because he understands that his uncle's already tired of him, and he's, being, he's, he's basically pushed, and he feels more weight to actually have to win than he normally does because you see him in that first race, right, that he does against him whenever mm-hmm. we see Sean and Han's... Uh, Nissan Sylvia, mm, beautiful car. Um, but whenever he hits that race, we see the entire race. DK is cocky, calm, and collective, uh, collected. But when we see him at the end, there's like a there's like an intensity to DK that's not normally there, at least in the car. It's not a cocky intensity. It's an intensity of like I have more riding on this. And he, I think, the fact that his uncle even took the wager lets him see that his uncle is already on edge with him. And as Neela kind of says, you're nothing without your uncle. And I think DK is aware of that. So I think that's parts of it. Part DK is pushed past where he normally would be comfortably. And then we of course have the implication, at least through Twink and the dude that uh, Sean is constantly burning through tires because all he's doing with his time is just constantly drifting and practicing and drifting and practicing. So, I mean, yes, I agree, but that to, to your point too, I don't know. I guess there's a little more believability in that for me because I feel like the movie sets up that the uncle is kind of like disappointed in DK's ability to be perceptive and the fact that Han was stealing. And then the fact that even whenever his uncle brings it to his attention, DK's response is no, he couldn't have. And even if he did, it couldn't have been much. I would have Mm -hmm. noticed, you know? Well,
1: it didn't seem like it was all that much. <laughs>
0: no, it didn't, see, it didn't seem like it was all that much, but there's clearly a thing where I think the movie sets it up that his uncle didn't want, like, you know, hey, you know, you can, it, I'll, I'll at least accept that, hey, you you missed it. But for him to go the extra mile and be like, even if he did, don't worry about it. It can't be much. <laughs> yeah. But I, I guess take a step back with me, and I'm more curious because you really like the the Yakuza games, correct? Mm-hmm. And I by no means am saying that the Yakuza games have to be incredibly accurate to the Yakuza. But other Japanese media that you've seen that express the Yakuza and kind of show them, do you not feel like there's a little bit of a difference between like what we see as like, I guess, traditional like Italian mafia here in like New York as it's presented throughout film, which again is not always the best way to view things. But I don't have any other frame of reference for seedy crime underbellies versus the Yakuza. Something about the Yakuza have always been, in my mind, more, a little more honorable and different than the way that the Italian Mafia is presented. Um, I mean, that's yeah, I, hard. I guess, do you agree or not? And, and and Or is it just too complicated to answer that way? Well, it's,
1: it's hard to answer because my exposure to the Yakuza is the Yakuza games. And in the Yakuza games, you play a member of the Yakuza, you know? So you don't necessarily see them in the same light as this one i i mean i think they're both based off honor and they're both crime families like it it's just the different the japanese culture that changes things you know it's
0: fair
1: versus getting garroted in the back of a car right like
0: yeah i i can certainly see that it was more of a curiosity because sometimes it's interesting to kind of check the way that you think based off of what things have influenced
1: them. I mean, the, the Yakuza games do show, like, especially Yakuza 7, you see this reverence for the Yakuza boss. Mm-hmm. You know, you do see this, like, oh, this is the guy we got to have respect for. That's definitely there.
0: Well, and like, <clears> even <throat> my most recent, and this is a very out-there ridiculous example, but let me just still throw it out there. Okay. Uh, have you watched the Netflix anime Way of the House Husband? No. It's it's excellent, it's really funny, it's over the top. But it's a guy who's ex-Yakuza who leaves, and there's a reverence for him because he was very high up in the... He, he was basically under the boss, so people view him as like this almost legendary figure, and even though now he's literally just a house husband who like spends his days cooking and shopping and growing plants and stuff like that, and all in very over-the-top fashions, whenever it comes to the Yakuza side of things, there's, again, that reverence shown. So I guess Japanese media makes me think that at least... Japanese culture as it's presented to me in the West has a reverence in a way, or at least looks at the Yakuza as though they are dangerous to extents, but there's a system of honor working within it. Whereas I feel like we've experienced movies that are more based around like the Italian mafia and maybe even like, if I remember correctly, is it like a, almost a Jewish mafia in, um, Oh, you, I don't think you watched the movie. So I guess you're not the right person to ask. Four hours long, (laughs) but you know what movie I'm talking about? Once upon a time in America. Yeah. Um, if
1: I had, if I'm right, it was the Jewish, mafia i guess that sounds
0: correct so but there's some very questionable things done in those movies within people within that and i guess you could say that there's always you know the bad eggs within it but we can move on past that that was more of a curiosity about the way these things are presented to us for a number of different reasons i'm
1: with you um so i'm gonna have a controversial take here this is the best shot of all the movies we've watched too
0: 100 percent yeah 100% yes it looks fantastic it's the only one I don't want to say I don't want to go overboard it does look fantastic are there clearly better shot movies 100% but yeah
1: I mean I'm being very (laughs) specific this is the best of the Fast and the Furious movies we've watched
0: from a sheer cinematography filming editing all... all of that
1: yeah there were a lot of interesting shots i really liked a lot of the like specifically when dk is drifting up the like little roundabout kind of thing mm-hmm. i really liked watching that um you know, i even there liked was... the really dumb like we're flying through your cell phone kind of scenes like i thought those were actually kind of cool and i liked the way that it set the scene of how long these races are where like they're only really watching them leave and then they're watching these snippets of drifting as they're going around, yeah. which I like because it's kind of funny when my mom runs. So when she does her races, like I, you, you know, the one, one of the few times I've been there, it was like I watched her go and then I hung out in a library until it was over because I was at the beginning of the race and it's 13 <laughs> miles.
0: <Yeah>. Like, <laughs> It's kind of the
1: same thing, which I really. And if you're
0: like, and it's very similar to this, where like if you're lucky, then like you see your start, like maybe your dad is like at one of the checkpoints halfway through and gets to see her run through that checkpoint. Exactly. Your brother is at the third checkpoint and can kind of see her run through there, but nobody's seeing the race from start to end. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, One thing that did get me about that, while we're talking about the kind of odd moments, one of the cool trans or one of the transitions I actually ended up really liking, even though I think it could have very easily been too much, is when we're seeing. we're seeing Sean drifting and he goes to hit the drift and then the camera does like a full spin and in that spin it turns from like day to night and we see him like on a track where the lights are coming over and he's drifting through it and it was just yeah. i was like this could have easily been a cheesy transition but they pulled it off with just the right amount of like you know a taste to yeah. for it to actually work and look good <clears throat> um and the, the cell phone scene was so interesting because I feel like I got, I agree with you. I think my brain is like clearly what they're doing in 2006 with flip Nokia's is like taking really shoddy pictures and videos and just sending them to each other through SMS. Yeah. But I don't think the movie does a good job of saying that the movie makes you think that in 2006, these Nokia flip phones that don't have Android or iPhone or anything Are streaming the video live to every other phone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's what it looks like.
1: That's I'm pretty sure exactly what was happening, at least implied.
0: Well, because you'd see like they they'd hit like a crazy corner or whatever, and you'd see people sitting there, and then immediately cut to the people at the bottom of the hill being like, "Oh, that was bullshit," you know.
1: So uh, we're this is this is interesting because we're speaking about this topic and it's going to transition us into something I noticed that I find very weird about this movie, and it's. I really liked in the garage that they went took the elevator up to the ending because I thought when they were in the elevator I'm like oh they're just getting out of the way it turns out there was a real reason for it which I thought was cool yeah it's like know.
0: going up to the end where they're yeah. Up. yeah I was just
1: like oh that's that's a good idea but this this that scene gives me the single weirdest scene of this movie and it's when Twinkie breaks the fourth wall did yep. you notice this yep I. Don't understand why the fuck they did
0: that. <laughs> it was weird because I feel like when movies break the fourth wall, they normally do it a few times, so it becomes like that, yes. of a gag. That was and exactly
1: it. They never do it again.
0: I tried to like mentally gym like do some gymnastics to get that away from because it bothered me for a second too. And I was like, you know what? I'm just gonna choose to believe that it was Twink winking to some guy who was out of frame. Like we didn't see him, but he was on the other side of the elevator doors.
1: Speaking of Twinkie, what did you think of his absolutely insane car?
0: I'm not going to lie to you. Whenever mm. he's sitting there with Sean and it's going through like a little car holder thing. Yeah. And, and that's a great comic release scene where it's like Sean keeps looking over and Twinkie's like, nope. <laughs> yeah. Not that one. Um, whenever his car comes out, or actually it, it, when it comes down to it, and all you see is like this very weird misshapen thing on the back. I was like is that like an abortion pressed into the back of his car? <laughs> wow. I, I looked at it and I, I sat there for like a solid, the entire time it was the cars backing out. I was like, what the fuck is that indention?" Cause I didn't remember <clears throat> his car having the Hulk on it. Cause you got to remember this was all before Marvel was a big thing. So that was a very interesting time to go about having the Hulk be featured, you know, if they did that same thing in a fast and furious movie now, which they've probably done, (laughs) (laughs) it would either cost them a lot more or it'd be a lot more noticeable. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, when it finally, I saw it was green and then it started to turn and I was like, Oh, that's a fist. This is the Hulk, isn't it? And (laughs) then finally we get to see the front. I think it was super wacky over the top i think the only saving grace for it is that it worked with twinkie being like the comedic relief for the movie to degree. Yeah. i i will say
1: i really wish that he had done the drift race in that car
0: <laughs> the first one yeah that like here been, twinkie let me borrow your car bro
1: yeah that would have been fucking hilarious to see the hulk mobile go around so, um
0: well but then again arguably it wouldn't have gone around right because sean absolutely sucks at drifting that's true that's <laughs> i love true. how the movie just paints it as like <laughs> i it to be fair it doesn't mean but it, the movie makes you think that this guy has absolutely never heard of drifting this man who loves cars and racing has never heard of drifting
1: yeah well i mean i guess that's that is i feel like that is more of a japanese culture Thing. I mean it I is and it definitely up, but...
0: came more over here but there's been drift competitions over here for a long time um, and it's really interesting too because you get to see a lot of you know, he ends up driving a Mustang in this one and Mustangs are uh, real world drive and that's typically a very different way to go about drifting than most front wheel drive cars which is what the majority of this of this movie is so it's super weird but kind of cool to see that and see that he ended up in it being an American or a Gaijin as we call them uh, or uh, an outsider Mm-hmm. But, so, uh, yeah, it would have been funny to see that, but at the same time, getting to see pretty early on that, that Sylvia S15, oh, boy. Yeah, I mean... I guess part of it is I drove... This is like a side story, but my, my buddy's sister got one, uh, got a Sylvia. It wasn't the S15, but she, they found one for her to drive, and it was a stick shift. She didn't know how to drive it, so yeah. I had to go with them, because I drive sticks all the time, uh, and... Had to go with them down to Austin, Texas, and drive it back like five hours. And that is the most fun five-hour drive I've ever had. We stopped to eat pizza in the middle of it, and I almost wanted to be like, can I just buy this car from you? Because <laughs> I've, I've never seen one since either. And it was so weird. They found it. She gave like $3,500 for it. It ran perfectly. I was so jealous. I mean, yeah, again, not an S-15 with like Ford's pistons and all that stuff. It's not the supercar that Han had worked out there. But, dude, those are awesome cars.
1: They are. Um, So what did you think of Neela?
0: Neela is very pretty.
1: (laughs) She is very pretty. Um, She's
0: also got a very square head. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) It was symmetrical in the way that it wasn't a rectangle. Yes.
0: Um. (laughs) And to me, I guess, good for the movie, because arguably Lucas Black, Mr. Sean, also has a very square top of his head. So she's like the square bottom and he's the square top and they just fit together perfectly.
1: Exactly. Um, I will say I looked it up and she actually is Australian. So I feel kind of bad saying this, but she had a, her accent was awful <laughs> <laughs> and she's playing an Australian. So I, I feel bad saying it cause I checked. She lived in Australia since she was two years old, but it sounded fake. And then at the beginning of the movie, when she's first, not first introduced, I guess, but in the parking lot, I actually rewound it because the first time, I swear she didn't talk with an accent. And then as she's talking to Sean, it gets more and more pronounced. (laughs) And I was like, what the fuck is going on?
0: So one of the things that's interesting here, and this is something I've learned from Triangle Squared. We have a number of listeners who are Australian Mm. and we get to talk to them pretty often. And... I don't, it's one of those things where you don't know enough about the world. So you just assume lightly, you know, when you think, Oh, an Australian accent, you're kind of, your brain just kind of goes, there's only one. And we started talking to him. And it's like, I can't remember what he said his word. And I don't remember all of them, but he said there's multiple different versions of uh, of an accent for Australia, which makes total sense because in America, there's American English, which is already kind of its own version of English. And then further from there, there's not only dialect, but, accents for that dialect depending on where you are so some people would hear me and say oh he has a southern accent i don't think mine's near as bad as some but it's arguably there you could listen to you and someone could say oh he has a, a northeastern yankee like accent or something i don't really know the accents well enough for this country um but you hear people and you're like oh he's got like a california you know west coast accent so my assumption, because I thought the same, hearing Neela talk, I was like, this doesn't sound like an Australian to me, except for like the occasional word. And I stopped and thought, it's probably a different version that I'm not familiar with hearing because the majority of the Australian I've heard has come from Alana Pierce. Mm-hmm. And according to Josh, that's a very specific, I don't want, I'm not trying to say anything bad, but he's, it was kind of similar to the way like we, like a, a Southern or like a redneck accent, like it's kind of like considered a more country-fied person version of the accent, and Neela's is probably like a more proper version of it.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It just it, it did like sound it, weird. Though. <clears throat> it felt like <laughs> it was going in and out. Like she wasn't sure how to speak her own.
0: Like maybe she was a British person who was like trying to key into this Australian accent. Just yeah, the that's character. why I
1: checked because I was like, is she doing a horrible accent? And then I was like, well, no, I guess she's just doing hers, but it sucks. Sorry,
0: <laughs> before I rem- like before it got to the point where she said my mother was born in Australia. I was like, I feel like when they first saw her and she started talking, I was like, is this like a London actress. Yeah, <laughs> like- exactly. And then she's like, oh, Australia. I was like, oh, that's supposed to be an Australian accent. <laughs> to be fair, though, the moment she said Australia, I was like, OK, yeah, that's an Australian
1: accent. Yeah, I mean, it more further on in the movie, it started to be fine, but it was just right at the beginning. Um, but speaking of accents, how did you feel yeah. about our titular character, John or Sean's accent?
0: Here's the thing. I live like, I guess, 10 hour, eight to ten hours away from uh, New Orleans, which <clears> is where <throat> Lucas Black is from. Yeah. Yes, it's there. Yes, it's a little heavy. I think it's personally, for me, I'm a little closer, more familiar with it. I think it's ridiculous to act like his accent is a killer in this movie. But that's just me, I suppose. It didn't bother me. There's only a few words where I was like, "Uh." "Yeah, his accent was whatever.
1: It was just a dude talking." Like I don't.
0: Yeah, I mean, like you know, did I cackle a little? Like when he's when we we talked about him going to the uncle and, you know, proposing a race to you know settle the squabble between him and DK and finally put all the, the mess that he had started for our Yakuza boss here to kind of bring it all to rest. He's like a race, (laughs) and it's just. I I cracked up, but I mean, you know, for the most part I I believe it. And it's interesting though because he has that accent. I don't I, I haven't seen Lucas Black in much other things. He is from New Orleans, but I th- apparently he's supposed to be like an Alabama accent because Yeah, Bama He's, boy. he's Bama boy. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that. Uh, but I don't know. I don't, I should ask my buddy Donovan who lives in Alabama and be like, does that sound like an Alabama accent to you? Or is this just a new Orleans actor speaking in a new Orleans accent saying he's from Alabama?
1: Yeah. I don't know. I didn't imagine it was an Alabama thing personally.
0: Did you hate it? Because like, I guess you're so, you're so far removed from that being a a typical accent. I I didn't hate
1: it. it. I didn't it was no it was like aggressively noticeable. there but sure. I was like whatever this is just how the dude talks like it wasn't like oh this movie sucks because a man speaks a certain way that <laughs> does, I don't fucking care about that I think that's a super weird complaint about a movie
0: I mean I agree as well because that's arguably just watching which <laughs> to be fair my wife has this anytime that someone has like a really strong British accent she's like oh <laughs> wow uh, yeah and she's like, I don't hate them. I just that accent sounds so weird to me. And I'm like, I mean, yeah, it's, it's an accent. It's meant to sound different to you because you're not from where they are, and that's not how people talk around you. But like yeah. you said, it's not something worth going up in arms about. No, uh, I'm glad you said like, that. <laughs> I
1: just don't like if this is your like, oh, this is why the movie sucks. You're a fucking idiot. I don't understand that. <laughs> that's oh a yeah, very aggressive take. Like, but... if
0: you say you hate the accent, but you still enjoy the movie, then fine. I mean, I think it's strong to hate an accent. <clears throat> um, but yeah, if if your whole argument against the movie is that, like, okay, I'm going <laughs> to call out Blake here because he actually said in the Discord the main character accent is enough to make me never watch it again. Yeah, and I guess really dumb. that's. I would never look at this and be like, I would never watch this again because I hated that Mm -hmm.
1: action. Well, now he's got enough time to get over himself.
0: Uh... See, this is interesting. (laughs) He says, when I rewatch this series, I act like Tokyo Drift doesn't exist. And we're going to get into all the uh, listener comments and and questions and remarks and whatnot uh, later in the show. But that one in particular is interesting because I think it brings us to the question of something we haven't quite talked about yet. This whole story... Hmm. Start to finish. You know, it's, it's a lot simpler than I feel like these movies end up getting, but you know, it's, it's Lucas coming, having to be forced over here, getting himself back into driving, even though he's kind of warned against doing so things get bad. Cause he gets close with Han Han's part of technically like buddy, buddy with the Yakuza people that goes bad. Han dies. This all happens. Bam. We're all said and done, right? That's basically the movie, the redemption arc. He wins the race, gets to stay with him and all of his friends. And then at the end of the movie, Is where it's kind of like, oh, now we're going to reveal something that suddenly anchors this movie to a timeline. Because I feel like up until the end of the movie, nothing in this movie anchors it to a timeline, at least so far chronologically with the movies we've been watching, right? Yeah,
1: I think there's a good reason for that, and I think...
0: You know, I, yeah, I think so as well. we'll talk but then about the that end, eventually. the end gives us, of course, the reveal of Dom coming back and Dom knew Han. So clearly, the idea here is that there's going to be some kind of connection where we very likely get to see Han again, which is <clears> arguably the best part. Because like, let's stop going through that for a second. We haven't talked about Han very much at all. Han is easily the most enjoyable part of this whole movie. Oh, absolutely, Han rocks. Yeah, he's super cool, laid back. He approaches life in the way I wish I could. I I love that this guy comes up and is just like hey what the fuck you been stealing from me he's like ah dude don't worry about it we all got side gigs Mm -hmm. (laughs) now clearly that didn't all work out for him but I appreciate the the bravado to do so Uh, yeah I don't know I thought Han was just
1: I was watching this movie and I'm like how could you make the decision to kill this character
0: (laughs) it's a bold move
1: it's a bold move and I don't i can't, I shouldn't say it doesn't serve the story but i don't think it serves the story enough to warrant getting rid of a character that good which i guess and the thing is the series agrees with me because not to bury the lead here but this is technically the last movie in the series exactly <laughs> so, and, and that's what
0: i get to i guess my thing there was like the whole way through once you kind of look at this, and this is also because of the fact that we have the knowledge of what's happened past, where it's like, oh, this all takes place d- down the line. <laughs> right. Um, but it can't be last in the series, right? Because I don't want to say too much, but I mean, if I'm not mistaken, the Tokyo Drift crew is coming back. In I nine. mean, I have aren't have they no in the trailer idea. for nine?
1: I don't know. I don't I don't know that for sure. I'm, you might be right. Well,
0: then we'll see. And I'm unsure if Han comes back, though the, I feel um, like the movie's aware of that, right? The movie approaches where it's like, oh, Vin Diesel, uh, Dom in this case, knew Han, so of course we're going to get to see Han again, and it's going to be, at, at very least, this movie takes place after something we're going to see in the next movie. Yeah. Um, I mean, Han does come back, so. <laughs> yeah, I thought so. So in that regard, yeah, I think that they clearly knew that and even if they didn't know when they were making the movie, I think that they were understood in the long run. That's like, oh, fan. Like they gave themselves an out in the movie by putting yeah. it in a, in a spot where you can say, well, this is a timeline. It's up to us to determine where, where this is in the timeline. But the only part of this that anchors it to anything else is the fact that Dom's in it. Yeah. So once that happens, yeah, I think that they gave themselves an out, and then they probably realized that fan response to Han was really strong, and they were like, we got to bring him back, yeah, ASAP. Because that that's the
1: interesting thing is I feel like the movie kind of would have had almost a more devastating, or I guess let me rephrase, the death in the movie would have had a more devastating sense to it, in my opinion, if it had been Twinkie. And then Twinkie doesn't come back, at least unless he comes back in nine, like you're saying. So it almost makes complete sense that that would be the one they kill. And still, instead they kill the best character in the movie.
0: Well, and you know, let's back up a second because, like, as I kind of said, the way that i viewed this movie right was sean's basically brian always doing dumb things for girls it's like the movie is, is a side series that tries to act as almost like a remake slash reboot of the first with all the hallmarks like i mentioned at the beginning and to me i think of this as like okay you think of the first movie this is a newcomer who has promise but can't really race as well as he thinks in this case not only can he not really race as well as he thinks he can't drift for shit yeah uh And we keep going, right? The person who gives him a chance is part of a crew. He ends up owing the guy who's part of that crew a car, which starts their relationship in earnest. The asshole of the crew that doesn't like him is arguably DK in this position who takes the role of, um, oh, how am I forgetting his name? From the first movie.
1: Uh, The one that Brian saves. Oh, I can't remember.
0: But we all know who I'm talking about, hopefully, at this point. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, the one who is kind of like, oh, I'm smelling out of right here. Anyway, we have that. Oh, Vince
1: you're talking about? Vince, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah so we see that, and then uh, we have a popular rapper that has to come into the movie just for the shit of it, because for some reason that's part of the DNA of these films at this point, <laughs> and it has to be a different one. We're three for three different rappers at this point. Yeah. And then, of course, the overarching arc where the driver becomes the racer that he thought he was. And we get to see that. And then, of course, the seedy underbelly of crime that's at the heart of the movie, too. Or at least somewhere deep within the DNA of the movie and the characters. Mm-hmm. So all of those things are there. So in my mind, as much as I already knew that Han died in this, I also kind of viewed this as like, wouldn't Twink be the the mm. Jesse of it all? Like, wouldn't he take the role of Jesse, who is our our very sad death in, exactly. in the first movie? That's and
1: exactly I, my point. Yeah. I'm with you.
0: And I guess that that is weird, because I feel like Twinkie's role feels... I don't know. I guess it is more of a gut punch that you lose on, because, again, he is the most likable person in this movie, by far. I don't think he's the only likable character in this movie, but i I think that they clearly wrote him to be one of the most likable, and he ends up being the most likable character in the whole movie. But... So I guess in that sense, he's a bigger hit and a bigger loss because of that. But I guess Twink feels more in line with what I was expecting. But do you think that they set up Twink's relationship with Sean and everybody enough to pay off a death from him?
1: Yeah. You know, I think, I think they do enough for him. And I also think it would have just taken a couple extra scenes, you know take some of the scenes he has with Han to establish Han as the guy you feel for with Twink Twinkie. You know, I don't know. I think I they guess, set I up guess. enough where Sean is, he's, they set up just as much as they do with Jesse, if not more with Twinkie. So I,
0: I, I actually agree that it's more, I think that Jesse being the death in the first movie does work, but I don't feel like they quite own or er, earned it fully. And I do feel like if they were going to kill twinkie here to kind of take that they would have earned it more in this film than they did with jesse um but to that degree i mean like you wouldn't take out the film or the the parts of the film where we get closer with han right because i feel like those are important as to why you like him no but you keep those in and then you just make more establishing scenes with twinkie correct
1: yeah i guess i mean you i think you could take some of them out because i think han is just a good character because of his presence. It to me it doesn't have anything to do with those scenes. Those scenes make him better, but without them I would still like Han because I just think Han is cool, you know.
0: I mean, true, but I think there's also that kind of feeling of like Han almost I guess arguably that's what it feels like to me, right? Han is kind of the father figure that Sean wants his dad to be. Instead, his dad is like the chaotic, lawful version where it's like, hey, you know, maybe I do some ridiculous things. But, you know, I know order and I pay attention and follow the rules that are set and expectations that are set. And Han is like the chaotic, not evil, I guess chaotic neutral. He's just kind of doing things. And I guess he wants that from Sean sees that as more of himself. And he sees Han as someone who's able to come in as a father figure in that regard for him. I'm not necessarily that strongly, but I mean, I kind of get that vibe. And even when Sean moves out and moves in with Han, it's kind of that vibe too. Like, well, I found home <laughs> elsewhere. Right. Yeah. So I, I guess I like that. I mean, you, I, you want to give those scenes so that you understand why their relationship works the way it does. I mean, and you also get to see that Han kind of just has that relationship with people, but there's a lot of really good strong lines with Han that I think would be worth bumping the runtime time up and then still just working on how you play out, uh, Twinkie, in order to to have that death payoff, and then going back to what you said earlier, I actually think there's a, I don't want to say completely, but I feel like there's a little bit more of a of a push from me toward revenge and like violent revenge. If you make Twinkie the sacrificial lamb here, yeah,
1: I guess I don't know.
0: I guess I, it's one of those things of like he's younger. And he's meant to be like the comedic relief. He's someone who's not, he's kind of in these positions, but he's not necessarily the one doing it. I think think about that scene where Sean kind of comes up and, and backs him up when the guy's beating him up because of the iPod. Yeah. You know, it's kind of established that he's already like someone who can't quite take care of himself. And when you have those moments, I guess those feel like they hit a little harder where it's like Han seems capable, right?
1: I'd almost push back on you there. And say really? that, yeah, because I think he was taking care of himself. Uh, he was. I, th- I no, think he was
0: taking he, care of the situation. No, he was
1: letting himself get hit. Like he, yeah, because he couldn't fight the guy, but right. he actively gets mad at Sean for stopping the situation the way he did. So yeah. I, I'm not saying that um, Twinkie could have won that fight but Twinkie could have gotten himself out of the situation, but was choosing to take the hits so that people around him weren't like, Oh, this doesn't work. I want my money back. So I don't think that scene establishes that Twinkie can't take care of himself. I think that scene, if anything, establishes that Twinkie can take a hit.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like linking it back to Jesse, Jesse is feels, uh, are you talking about Jesse Pinkman? (laughs) No. Um, Oh, you're talking about the last movie. My bad. Yes, the first movie. And we're kind of saying, like, if we use Twinkie in this sense as kind of the, the sacrificial lamb in the way that Jesse was in Fast 1, I guess Jesse does feel less, I don't want to say mentally, he feels less emotionally capable of being completely responsible for himself. And he's a little more erratic and I guess there does have this sense of Twinkie's character being more calm, cool, and collected and calculated about what he's doing. And like you said, I'll, I'll agree with you on that. He does have that sense of like, I'm choosing to take this route because it's what's best for me in the long run, even if it's physically not great for me right now. Yeah. So fair enough. But I I mean, I don't know. I guess still in my mind, maybe you can do more to work that up. But still, I look at this movie as, okay, how do you go about working in your revenge storyline? Do you have it when they're going down and doing the race down the hill that that Sean's actively trying to like push him off of this mountain that we've established as like a death mountain where no, if you don't I, get to the bottom of it you die? Or how do you how do you think you go about it? Because how is it revenge if DK doesn't die or or well, do you because do it a revenge in a different way, like
1: nonviolent revenge? Yeah, I mean the, his revenge is ruining his status in the Yakuza and taking everything from him. Sure. You know, there's. Tons of different revenge. You know, my revenge on Blake for being wrong about science in Book of Eli was being right. You know what I mean? (laughs) Like,
0: sure. So you meant nonviolent revenge. I mean, that's me. That's on me for jumping immediately to violent revenge.
1: Yeah, because I think that's the thing is that ending, like, just ruins DK and everything he stands for. So it doesn't, it wouldn't surprise me that. Yeah, it it, it
0: destroys his status and everything. So, yeah, fair enough. So all you really (laughs) have to do at that point is just change up what he says to his dad right (laughs) Sean's just like this not nothing about his mess just like fuck this guy (laughs) yeah or just (laughs) I'm gonna go ruin his whole career
1: well instead of that it's like I have to take care of this that's a very simple
0: thing yeah of course I was being crazy with it but I mean yeah arguably that's I mean yeah I'm gonna go and, and and exact my revenge in my way Okay, I'll follow you a little bit more. I think that that's a a doable thing. I guess I see the point of it trying to be this coming-of-age story. Because otherwise, okay, I guess the story happens because he's a kid, so he can't control the fact that he's having to go live with his dad, which puts him in the area. And I guess maybe that's why they try to spin it as this coming-of-age story, because they chose to use a teenager. And if you're going to have a teenager who's right on the brink of turning 18, responsibility comes into play.
1: Yeah, which I got to say, I thought that using a teenager was kind of a weird call. Not that I care, but it just seemed a little... like (sighs) Movies going into kind of... I guess it's not as overtly sexual as the other movies.
0: Oh, it's 100% not. (laughs) But it
1: just seemed weird to be like, oh, we're going to put this... Child in life-threatening situations. Not that children haven't been in life-threatening situations. We watched Nightmare on Elm Street on this show.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I think it mo- might just be more of the series and knowing how insane that is. And you're like, oh, here's this fucking high school senior.
0: <laughs> True. We've also watched Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. So uh, I didn't. No, I did. I hated. You did. <laughs> yeah, you did. <laughs> God you weren't it. on the episode, but you 100 did.
1: Thank God Blake is gone. We can stop watching shitty movies. Yeah, Blake, take that. Yeah, he picks fucking Bliss, Irreversible, and Butcher Baker, Nightmare Maker. Christ. <laughs> What's funny peace. is
0: I didn't hate either of those movies, but I have a fun time listening to you complain about the fact that you had to watch those movies. I hated them. Oh, interesting. All right, going back towards this movie. Uh, what did you think? This is like a side thing off, but I just really liked it from, a, I guess, leaning into the uh subtle comedic relief of these how did you feel about the older the two older japanese gentlemen who are just sitting there alongside my favorite Twinkie? characters in the movie they're so good yeah they're the best characters in my opinion they, they made me think of like the old westerns where like two old farmers or like old cowboys are watching a guy yeah. figure out how to ride a horse and as he gets better they start being like yeah there we go
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i kept expecting them to like spit into a can here <laughs>
0: <laughs> but they are those kind of fun side characters where you're glad that you get to see them every time they come on, come on scene. Cause they're just kind of like the two grumpy old guys who you get to kind of finally see be like, Oh, look at that. We kind of respect the kid.
1: Yeah. They're, they're without a doubt my favorite part of the movie. Um,
0: So, we didn't talk about one of the underlying themes of this movie, which I think was weird. I, I was going to say underlying themes. It was something they tried to have it be like this through line where they try and take a story and give you... Because a story is so it tied into racing and what it means to do these things. Yeah. Did you get the sense this movie was trying to like run an actual like lesson through the lens of drifting? <laughs> Explain. Okay. So, do you remember whenever Han... And, and Sean go out and we see this moment where we have Sean asking him, like, you know what? Like, why do you drift? Do you, so you don't drift to win. Okay. Yeah. Uh, why do you do this? Well, okay. Well, I only drift if it's something for like really something important which the movie tries to kind of pay off in the long run where it's like, it, it does two things, right? He says he only drifts for something important. And then eventually Sean's like, show me what you drift for. And then he goes and drifts to get the girl's phone number. Yeah. I like that a lot, <laughs> which I feel like makes total sense for what we've seen of Han so far. But then also the movie kind of comes back around with this idea of like, okay, we don't really see Han do much drifting outside of just teaching. We don't really mm-hmm. see him do it a lot until the end of the movie. When it's like, I'm drifting to save my life. (laughs) Uh, But there's this thing across the board. It's like, drift to do something important. And then this through line that we end up getting to it, in this very weird way, I just feel like the movie's, it's there. It's not like beating you over the head. But at the end, the important thing that Sean does is kind of, like, you know, solves the problem for himself, Twinkie and all of his people by drifting to basically for his honor or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but I just thought it was really weird. Cause like I get where they were trying to go. And when you have a movie that's so based in these things, you try to have your, you try to put story little pinnings into things that people can pick up on. And I don't think it com- it didn't completely work. It was just weird. Kind of like how I said, like in the last movie that there's almost like this small little character arc Within the pockets empty, being hungry. And then by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, we're going to resolve all that in a really kind of campy, cheesy way that fits with the tone of this film. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that's what was going on here. But I did bring up something that was really cool. I know that Blake was a huge fan of Too Fast, Too Furious, his scramble scene. Mm -hmm. I think that personally, me so far, I was having an absolute blast on the edge of my seat just watching DK and Twinkie and everybody just and, and Han and whatnot just drifting and weaving in and out of traffic on the Tokyo Highway when they were doing that like that chase right before Han dies. Oh, absolutely! Dude, the it was scene, so cool.
1: The scene of uh, <sighs> them drifting through the crowd of people was awesome. That was one. Of yeah, my at the plaza.
0: Yeah, but see that also brings us to a point where it's a cool <clears> scene and like you said favorite scene in the movie that's the scene one of the few scenes where the CGI showed itself not bad but you could tell the people were fake if you really looked it reminded me kind of like that the Matrix Reloaded where you have like the you're trying to get thousands of people here but you don't want to put anybody in real danger for a stunt so you yeah. have to do them a CG mm-hmm. and then you could kind of see the, the car with CG so this movie kind of does this mix of um cg i feel like can always age a film but if you're smart with your cg and you do it as little as possible which i think this movie does do and then when you do do it you make sure it's for something that you feel like is worth it like that scene because like by let's compare the scene of them drifting through that that group of people first of all the big groups of people around those little plazas like that is like everyone knows that it's like a tokyo staple So doing that really works towards kind of like a set piece for the, for where the film's at, just as like you'd expect it from an action standpoint, but it's also just a cool scene that kind of plays together. Now let's compare that back to the scene of them using CG cars to barely turn around a corner at the very first race of too fast, too furious and suddenly making them CG, just a whip tail around a corner It feels like someone knew when to UCG and someone knew when When not to. Yeah. When not to. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't know. That was a scene. And even when Han and Sean were talking on the rooftop and looking over, you could tell. But it didn't bother me. Maybe it's my experience with MLB, but like I'm used to NPCs, for lack of a better word, not looking very good. So. Yeah. Sure. I think it's always like a
0: smoothness thing.
1: Yeah. It just didn't bother me at Mm. all.
0: I just feel like this movie, even with all those things, feels less dated than both Too Fast and yeah, even Fast and Furious 1 it did. Did.
1: I appreciated the complete lack of, uh, this, I don't know what else to call it, so I'm going to dub the term uh, slow motion long lights. And I'm really glad they didn't do that in this what movie. What do you mean
0: slow motion long lights?
1: When the movie goes into slow-mo and then the headlights on the cars become these long lines because it's in slow-mo.
0: Oh, exposure, yeah. 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 <laughs> long exposure shots. Yeah, we're going to go with
1: slow-mo long lights.
0: <laughs> slow-mo long lights. Uh, patented phrase <laughs> from Midweek Matinée. We've yeah. trademarked that. Uh cra- trademarked by your boy Chris Fix here. <laughs> yeah, I again, and I think that that's one of those things where I don't know if the filmmaker in this case cuz if I if I'm not mistaken, I think this was the first time that uh what's that director? Justin Ling? Justin Wel- Lin? Lin? Lin, yeah, Lin. Okay. And he's gone on to um, be a producer or a, uh, rather a director on a number of the movies moving forward and if anything that probably bodes well right i mean yeah i, I hope that means that because i think he did <laughs> tokyo he's, drift fast six and he's doing fast nine
1: he was the producer on fast six i think he's the first one he's directing since then is
0: nine okay cool um but either way he's he's definitely been part of it and if he's even producing I mean hopefully that means that he's somewhat being involved with cinematography and that means that the rest of these films are going to look a lot better. Oh weird no <laughs> I guess
1: you're right he was um Fast 6. Director. He just said on his IMDb that he was producer and then I clicked on the movie
0: and he's He's probably producer and director realistically. Yeah. Pretty but you would think
1: director would be the <laughs>
0: the, the number one thing it given. Yeah. yeah. Not producer. Uh, But I think that's a good thing, because I don't know if it was because of the directors or because of the studio meddling. There are things in the first few movies that, while I I like them in a nostalgic way, they definitely date the movie. Like, it works, because I was there. But let's think of someone who's, like, not about to, like, I'm 27, about to be 28. Let's think someone who's 18, who's maybe watching Fast 1, 2, and Tokyo Drift for the first time. Tokyo Drift is the only one that doesn't feel old as shit, realistically. Yeah, I'm not gonna say old as shit. That's a little too far. It doesn't but, feel nostalgic in the same way. Yeah, it's not playing off of nostalgia from the time of being like, oh, I can look over these things because I was alive to see this and I know what movies were like from that time. I feel like this is the first one that really is like, oh, you could tell me this movie just came out, and I would mostly believe you. Of yeah. like, you know, there's there's items in the movie that dated, of course, like the flip phones, but I don't <laughs> think any of the actual film cho- like filming choices and effect choices data in the way that they, that we saw in fast one and fast two. And that's a good thing. Arguably, I agree. I mean, you know, um, let's see. Oh, um, the tie in from the first and last race. Are you a big, I mean, I know we've talked, I know I talk about this all the time. Are you a big fan of kind of movies setting up things and coming back to them? I talked about it earlier in the, in the kind of setup, but, we see a lot mimicked from the first race with him and the rich boy and the Viper. When we see him racing with, uh, with DK at the end of the movie in a cool way. And I kind of that. it. It's like, it all worked out this time for him. Yeah,
1: no, I'm with you on that. So like, for example, it's like I Red said, he learned he's... how to drift. <laughs>
0: True, but we see like every bit of it, right? We see the frustration that comes from him actually doing well. (coughs) So we start seeing his opponent smacking into him, smacking into him, smacking into him. We see him learn this time, break and kind of pull things off to make it work for him. Um, We see him remain calmer than he was before. And then we also see him kind of go through the little, he wins because of the shortcut, which also puts DK in a weird position where DK gets out of control and kind of flips around. Um, so with all that coming over, I know there's small things, but I just like that little thing where it's like we see him take the shortcut to show that that's the kind of driver he is, and he's thinking that way in the first race, but it doesn't quite completely work out for him. I mean, technically, he wins the first race. <laughs> yeah, he just, yeah, he does. There's just a lot that comes as a result of that. <laughs> because,
1: that's the, That was the one weird thing about the setup was they were both racing, but it's entirely the other dude's fault they crashed.
0: Oh, one hundred percent.
1: So, and the but cop says it. Also, He's like, "You're a screw up," and their parents are paying. Yeah, but that was one of those things where I'm like, "Well, what the fuck do you mean? Like, this guy, he was right. Re- he should, he should go to jail, right? If you want to go that route, but I think he so is too. not the reason that they crashed and got hurt. Like, yeah, it's no, entirely I, their fault.
0: <laughs> yeah, like I can't sit there and say that the rich kid in the Viper, who coincidentally enough, it was on and I was like, who is that? And it clicked with me. It's one of the sons from home improvement. I don't know if you ever watched home improvement, but it it clicked with me. I said, Holy crap. Um, but when that happened, yeah, you can't look at the film and what a fun line too. Whenever you see the, the video, the footage of him running through the house and then jumping and then like landing (laughs) beside the car. (laughs) And then we see Sean be like, can I get a tape? Can I get a copy of that? But Yeah, it's not the rich kid's fault that Sean decided to take a shortcut and then just run through a house. So, Sean should definitely get in trouble. But, I mean, there's a strong case against the rich kid that that needed to be dealt dealt with. And I guess someone who's really trying to look at these movies could say that this movie's actually trying to make some kind of, like, uh, commentary on money and power within the world and arguably it is on a very small scale <laughs> yeah though i like how that's all thrown out of the window and you even see it in his eyes because like he's had all these problems with cops and then when as soon as han's like oh yeah if your car could do like more than 180k here the cops just don't even bother you <laughs>
1: yeah i, I like that that whole scene where he's like oh, i'm about to get pulled over Hans like no you're not man shut the fuck up <laughs> <laughs>
0: And I love that. That's the first time you actually hear Sean be like, ah, "I think I like this country." Yeah, I did yeah. crack up, and I'm, I don't know much about the laws over in in um, in Japan, so it's it was interesting. But whenever you see him talking to DK the first time, he's like, "I, I was under the impression this was a free country." oh, <laughs> but like, that sounds like the most American shit that would come out of someone's mouth in Japan.
1: Yeah, absolutely is. It's like I don't know what you mean, man. But
0: okay. Um. <laughs> Well, yeah, there's not a whole lot more I wanted to talk about. I mean, that's that's a lot of it for me. I I love that the movie feels like a love letter to the first movie, but just taking it in a slightly different direction.
1: Yeah, I agree. So let's move into uh, some comments from the listeners on Discord, which you know you can just join by following the link in the description. But you can also get a nice little color on the Nartech page, uh if you join the Nartech Patreon. Correct? Yes, sir. Right. And
0: actually interestingly enough almost every <clears throat> comment and remark that we got was from a patron so thank you guys.
1: Yeah. Um so we'll start with um the corpse of Blake Pope's and he May he says, rest in peace. Yeah, rest in shit. He doesn't like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh Blake says uh it fucking sucks. The main character's accent is enough to make me never watch it again. When I rewatch the series, I act like Tokyo Drift doesn't exist.
0: And he adds in it's hands down the worst. At least the later ones are fun. Yeah, this movie's fun. I yeah I, I, I don't. Think, I think Blake needs to rewatch this. But I, I, I think told he him. has recently.
1: I no he hasn't. I mentioned it to him, and he was like, "I will never watch it again." And I was like, "Oh, I rented it, watch it," and he was like, "No." Oh, well, I told him to buy it, but I'm like, I rented it. You could watch it, and he refused. Like, you're okay. The movie's great. I was right about the Marvel movies, wasn't I, motherfucker? <laughs> yeah, um, Blake, take that. So the next comment we have is from Rude Days '93, who says, "I just rewatched it a couple weeks ago, and the accent on the main character is still annoying. Not really. Uh No like, no really likable characters besides Han. Kind of agree." But I'll say this: is, this it was better. Sh- it was a better shot, film than the first two. We both patently agree with that. Yep. Um, not as much CGI and some great shots. I'm not sure if that has to do with it being easier to film with the cars drifting or whatnot. But I was impressed by it, especially compared to the first two. And we went into the the shooting and the shots of this movie, and I completely agree. Oh yeah, I think this a- movie was far and away the best the best shot of the series.
0: And. I really hope that what I said about the Justin Lin being attached to it means that the rest of them at least view that as, like, a standard. Because I feel like, right, this wasn't 100% a staple series in the same way as it is now back when this movie came out. So the three movies kind of feeling and looking shot different, like, really different is not that huge of a deal. But I feel like from four on, where they started to become massive you need to maintain some kind of identity. And I hope that that means that they've chose to be like, Hey, we're going to make sure these movies all are really well shot as well as being fun so that you kind of, you know, it's, it's a feast for your eyes, not only in what's happening on screen, but the way we're choosing to present to you what's happening on screen.
1: Yeah. Uh, so the last one I pulled was from uh, crash. The animal who said, I liked Tokyo drift. It was the only one that was purely about racing wrong. Yeah, I was about to say, I don't really agree. Uh, (laughs) Nothing to do with cops. Don't really agree. It's a crime movie. Or stealing cars. it's not cops. No, but but it's... I guess cops... Well, to be fair, the entire movie doesn't happen without some fucking cops. Um, (laughs) Or stealing cars or whatever the hell they're doing these days. It was purely about racing. Again, I don't really agree, but I'm glad you like Tokyo Drift.
0: (laughs) I am too. and And I'll back up and say... It's the movie that's the most about racing. I will agree there, but it's, but it's not, not purely. Even, it's about not even, racing.
1: I don't know. Is it really a, a racing movie or is it a drifting movie?
0: Well, I mean, drifting is just a subsection of racing and I guess that's what people are getting into. It's more about cars and what you're doing within the car than all the weird back and forth crime drama. That again is what my head has. and And I'm, Every movie I feel like so far, besides one, I've always known what I I liked about one and that I loved it. Two proved better than my memory led me to believe. And I think that that was tainted by things I've seen and heard. This movie was better than I remembered it. And I think that was tainted by other people's opinions. And I'm wondering if four is better than I remember it. And I hope moving forward that I just get completely proven wrong. But... I still think that there is the overwhelming feeling that while cars are a big part of the movie, because otherwise they wouldn't be worried about strapping a car to a rocket to send it to space in fast nine. Yeah. That's a DNA of this film or all of this film series, but this one, uh, this one in the first one and the second one still kind of has that feel the most about like racing being a big reason as to why these things are happening. Like, Oh, we're going to get people who are part of underground racing leagues to do things. And, Oh, okay, we're going to have mob, you know, Yakuza working around people who are doing this, this illegal drifting. And it feels more about that. Then later ones do where it's not necessarily, like they're not necessarily racing constantly. I mean, you know, there's weird moments that like, I remember, I don't know if it's a race or not, but I remember in four, there's a scene of them like driving cars, like without headlights on through the desert in the middle of the night from like tubes that are under mountain. It feels yeah. crazy in my head. Like remembering, <clears throat> it feels like I remember being like, what the hell, but it's, it's certainly different, but I just, I can't say this movie is purely about racing. Cause it's not
1: <laughs> right. It's definitely not purely about
0: racing. I want to pull one. Uh, I, this one's interesting because I feel like this is true for a lot of people. Uh, Kai Graham, one of our patrons, says, I think I stopped watching after Tokyo Drift. I liked the movie. I think I saw one with The Rock, and that's when I gave up. And I don't know if he's saying he saw the movie with The Rock, which would be Fast Five, or if he saw the trailer and was like, I don't even want to bother watching Four, which he may have not seen up to that point. But I'm not going to lie. When they suddenly were like, we're going to pull The Rock in, and then this guy, and then this guy. I did start being like, what's going on here? (laughs) Yeah. So I get it. I get it. Um, Also, Gone in 60 Seconds gets a shout out. And while, of course, we're doing The Road to Fast 9 and giving these movies a chance on my part, I'm a big fan of Gone in 60 Seconds. Yeah, I love that Nick Cage
1: movie. Um, (laughs) Anyway, Brett, what is your rating for Tokyo Drift?
0: It's so close to perfect, but I'm not going to give it a perfect, even though I really enjoy it. I'm going to give it four and a half. I gave it five stars. Uh, this movie—I don't blame you. Sick. I don't blame you. It's a really good movie, and I can't believe that Blake says he'll never watch this movie again. Yeah. So, in your personal
1: <laughs> ranking of the Fast and the Furious movies, one, two, and three. Let's hear it.
0: Who? Did I go first last time? Yeah. I don't know. But I don't know either. So you're going first. <laughs> yeah. It's it's fine. It's fine. I'm curious to see. I think. I might know where yours is at. I still think that there's some magic in one that I really like. It's really hard for me to decide between this and it's one and Tokyo drift, but I'm going to stick to my guns with one being my favorite and best right now with Tokyo drift being right there, drafting behind it. Just, you know, ready to pass it at any moment, maybe. And then two is, is comfortably, you know, and, and it's in third, you know, it's not bad. It's a good movie. I really enjoyed too. Where are you at?
1: Uh, Tokyo Drift and then like Four Spaces and then Two and then Fast and Furious.
0: Four Spaces? That's how much better Tokyo Drift is? I think Tokyo
1: Drift is head and shoulders above the other two movies.
0: I will not lie and act like there's not a lot of nostalgia tied into one. I know that and that's kind of why I'm positioning myself. I think by the end of these films, there's a strong argument for Tokyo Drift to end up either in the top or some act of i don't believe in a god but some act of something (laughs) that four five six seven and eight are all just amazing to me for whatever reason um and end up higher up there's a at least a chance that tokyo drift will overtake one in the rankings
1: yeah i don't know i just i have nostalgia but i still don't think that four or fast and furious is like a great movie I guess let me rephrase. This is the only movie I have any interest in watching again. Like I finished that movie and I was like, that was really fun. I might watch it again.
0: That's the crazy thing to me. I know that we went off of that already, but Blake's insistence that at least the later ones are fun to imply that this movie is not fun.
1: Yeah, I don't really understand where you get that.
0: I want to know what he means by fun.
1: Yeah, I don't know, I, and I, I don't know. Maybe this is a thing where, like, I'm also the guy who gave fi- Twilight five stars, and I think I still think I'm right about that. But, like, I don't know. I don't know if that clouds it, where like this movie might have been bad, but it was so entertaining. But you're you don't really come off to me that way, and uh, you feel the same way I do. Like this movie was just sick.
0: I don't know. It's it's really good. Yes, it, does it have some over the top moments in a in a somewhat cringy way? A few, but not many.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think. I think the big problem with this movie is that people went in expecting a Fast and the Furious, so where's Brian and Vin Diesel and Roman? I think so as well. And they got this, and this is not continuing that series, but it is. I don't know. That's the only reason I can see for all the hatred this movie gets.
0: I mean, me too, and this is the weird thing because this actually also came before the time period where we were super used to like sequels within the within the same characters and continuing a story on, which you know we already talked about. This plays a line in the story line somewhere. Yeah, but I mean, you know, this is before Iron <clears throat> Man went on to make Captain America, which went on to make Thor and so on and so I mean, forth. Sequels. And I only. Yeah, and I only bring that up because those movies are sequels without being directly about that character. But there's always the expectation now that Marvel's as far as it is that the stories intermingle with each other, and people really like that. But I, I do think you're right. I think somewhere in this, people wanted the seeds of what we expect out of Marvel now out of there, and they did not want to let go of Brian, and oh. that might have been there. I mean, that might have been Fast and Furious's or Universals fault for making a second movie with Brian and then deviating. Do you well, think it would have been as strong if, if they would have immediately went to these characters after the end of one?
1: I mean, I guess, I don't know. I kind of disagree with the premise of your argument that has anything to do with Marvel because it's not like Thor two, Thor one is called Iron Man two. Well, and I, and I, exactly. Yeah. This and I know they're sequel. different. Yes. Yes. And uh, And that's why I think you have that expectation. Like, I don't know. I would be upset if Doctor Strange isn't in the next Spider-Man movie, but it's not called Doctor Strange 2, whereas this is called The Fast and the Furious.
0: Fair. I guess what I'm I'm using more of Marvel's continued flowing storylines that all connect within each other, whereas this movie, up until the end has zero to do with the rest of the films. Well, sure. And I think that that's a big thing that got people is that there's that want to have your characters and the actions that you're seeing happen on screen apply to part of something bigger than itself. And this movie, at least if you look at it right now where we are, where we haven't seen four, this movie still is realistically just its own thing. It's so disconnected from everything that it exists separate. And I'm sure people were upset about that because they wanted something that continued the mythos of what we saw. Yeah. And to continue the mythos of what we saw, you I don't think you have to, but you arguably need uh, Brian and at, at least Brian, right? At that point Brian was the continuing thread. Yeah. What if this but... movie was Brian? Like what if they found a way to put Brian in Tokyo and just made Brian learn to drift?
1: Well, that I it's almost a missed opportunity and why it's almost really weird that they hired a guy who looks almost exactly like Paul Walker where, especially now knowing where it goes in the series, like why they didn't just have it be a prequel. Well, I guess I know Never mind. That was a really dumb thing to say, but, um,
0: (laughs) well, you know, what's interesting is I was looking up something earlier whenever I was making dumb memes and whatnot. Um, and there was like a little extra search thing that was like, why isn't Paul Walker in Tokyo drift? And apparently he wanted to be in it, but the studio said they wanted to go a different direction. So he just respectfully did what they asked. He didn't push to be in it because they wanted to do something different. Um, and that's really interesting because we, we see a movie where universal wanted Dom back and they wanted Vin Diesel back as Dom. And he says no, and they move forward with Brian and then, brian wants to be back but they're like nah don't worry but we're gonna get vin diesel back in <laughs> yeah well i mean i think from what i
1: saw vin diesel wasn't supposed to be in the movie and the movie screen tested badly so they added him um really yes but i mean I, I don't so know. i guess
0: we're wrong if it's screen tested bad <laughs> i don't know i love this movie that's all i can really say I can't say much more than this. Just... I think uh, there's a good chance that
1: a lot of the reason I liked it so much was because I expected it to be awful. And That's I true. You're working on Yeah. I was consistently like, "Oh, this is pretty good. Oh, this is fun." There was no situation where I wasn't going to like this movie because it was fun. But I'm pretty sure I'm like going against the grain on like to an extreme here. But it's because like you kept put, you people keep putting in my head all oh, this movie sucks. You know, even my brother was like, and I guess when I talked to him today, he had gotten the movies mixed up. But when I told him we were doing this, he was like, oh, that sucks. You're going to have to watch three and four. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I I texted him today. and I was like, Tokyo Drift was sick. You were fucking. What is wrong with you? He was like, oh, I actually liked that one. I thought it was a different movie. Whatever, dude.
0: I mean, I don't know. I know that I exist so far out of what this series has become, so all of my opinions are still based around the way I view the series, and to me, this feels so in line with the series, and I love it. And I remember liking it a lot when it first came out, but it was one of those things where I guess I kind of drank the Kool-Aid and thought, well, maybe it's not as good as I remembered it, and it it really does feel like the redheaded stepsister, but I don't think it does, at least right now. I mean, yeah, by the time that we're done with 8, maybe I'll be like, Tokyo Drift doesn't make any sense with these movies, but I don't think so. No. Because then you have to also discount 1 and 2. In my So far, at least. If you're going to say Tokyo Drift doesn't line up, and like I said earlier, you have to get rid of 1 and 2, because Tokyo Drift shares a lot of DNA with those. So- I mean, I I, I don't know. I, I think we'll find out
1: your opinion on this, but I really think it's very much like in line with how the movie goes. It's just escalation. It's not...
0: Yeah, yes. And and I'm not I'm not saying anything about the future movies. I literally don't know what they're about. You know, but they, they, I'm saying other people act like it doesn't belong and I currently yeah. don't see well, how it, how it doesn't belong.
1: I think people and especially like you have this opinion too that the rest of the movies don't really make sense with the first two. And I don't know. Like I get that. I don't
0: actually have that opinion. Well, you've I, said it on the show. What what I've said was that four tonally feels so different. Like okay. I think that there's a through line. Like it's not that the story doesn't make sense. It just feels like it's like you said, I felt like the escalation was jumping the shark.
1: I guess my, my thing is that I don't having watched these first two and well, you can get more into this later, but I think it's sure. interesting because I don't really agree with you at all. Having rewatched these because these movies, as Blake said, are crime movies and sure. they just continue. They get a name for themselves in this movie. Then Brian gets a name for himself in the next movie. And then it just keeps going until, you know, they're as recognizable as like I've made the joke, but they're as recognizable as the Avengers to to the cops. You know, these are the best drivers who can pull off whatever the fuck they want. So I think I think if anything, this movie continues to fit as almost giving Vin Diesel that Nick Fury role.
0: Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And especially when. And I arguably did, I, with what's happening with Nine, it looks to be the case. Because, like well, I said, I, I, say, I,
1: I did watch the trailer and they are in the movie. So these guys do come back.
0: Yeah. And I mean, if if your whole point of your movie is having a team of elite drivers, then I mean, yeah, you would absolutely want this kid who clearly can drive well now. He beat the. I,
1: I didn't see him, but you know those guys who were working on uh, Nilo's engine at the beginning? Yes, they're in they're, the trailer. They're in the trailer. Yeah
0: uh and apparently actually looking now uh, just cuz we're talking about Tokyo Drift apparently the next planned movie that's a side story like they did with Hobbs and Shaw is a Tokyo Drift sequel
1: fuck yeah i'm more excited for that than fucking Fast 9 <laughs> the road the road to the Tokyo Drift sequel is what we should call yeah
0: it. we should road to Tokyo Drift 2 <laughs> yeah We'll see how that goes, because I wonder if they can actually, again, this small sample size, I don't talk to people about Fast and Furious all day long, but the discourse I normally hear about Tokyo Drift is that the people don't like it, so can they swing with Fast 9 fan opinion about these characters to make people actually want to watch a Tokyo Drift Dude, I think
1: at this point, the Fast and the Furious is the movie version of Call of Duty. No, Okay, I'm going to change this, because we have (laughs) the Avengers. This is the movie version of Battlefield, (laughs) (laughs) where... People are gonna go see the movies because of what it's called. True. You know. True. I've, I would True. have to say the Marvel movies are the Call of Duty for obvious reasons, but I think if we're gonna go yes. with that example, yes. it's the it's the
0: Avengers. Yeah. Or the Skyrim. I don't know. Yeah, arguably. I gotcha. All right, man. Well, I guess uh, we're ready to wrap this thing up, right? Yeah. All right. Uh do you want me to go ahead and do the whole outro?
1: Yeah, you can do that. That's fine. Okay.
0: Well, thank you guys for joining us. Uh, I know Chris was the host, but I always take over at the end to do all the uh, rigmarole, as they call it. So if you guys want to share your opinions with us on this movie or any other movies that we talk about, we will be watching the rest of the Fast movies up to the release of 9 for the next few weeks. So... Be prepared for that. But don't worry if you're not into the Fast and Furious movies for some reason you've listened this long. We will eventually watch something else. Um, You can head over to Twitter, though. Like I said earlier, at matinee underscore midweek. Give us a follow to see crazy memes news about stuff and then keep up with when the episodes go live you can also join our discord which is linked in the description below of this podcast where you can talk with us about movies in the discord section for that you can talk about the podcast or movies in general and of course you can always give feedback for the sections where we ask you for your input about these movies so if you want to be part of that we'd love to have you lastly if you want to support the show with more than just your time which we are always so thankful for head over to patreon.com slash nartech and consider giving as little as a dollar per month to get you early access to shows like like this and our other series that we do it gives you cool discord name colors and other Prizes. So go check it out. Consider giving more to support the show so that we don't have to worry about running ads and whatnot. Uh, and we're very thankful for those of you who already do so and let us keep doing this show. So thank you guys so much. And without further ado, we shout out all of our patrons for the time being at the end of episodes. So we have Mr. Kai Grimm. Thank you. We have Josh Jarrell, Matthew Green, my name is Dan, Luke Bartolomeo, Sean Santarude, Funk Turkey, Danny Viliobos Corey Hickerson. Blake Popes, Kevin Baconbits, Mark Schutz, Shadowist, Stephen Salazar, The Stonard, Rich, Constantly Kenny, Solitary Red, Zachary Sawyer, Landis, Rude Days 93, Josh Drago, Bailey Robertson, Brian, Donovan Williams, Derek Porter, Josh Ayers, Joshua Lago, Sean One Neo, Tyler Powers, Jehudi MD, Rob Wartpoint, Richard Schaefer, and Ham and Egger. Thank you all so much, and we hope that you enjoy the rest of the week. <clears throat> Hell yes. Eee.